Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Bree, and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Hey, family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you've got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is a very special episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. The show is turning 100, and to celebrate, we're taking you behind the scenes. So you've worked out by now that I'm not Ben, I'm Bree, Ben's wife, and the artistic director here at Smoking Hot Confessions. We first started talking about the 100th episode pre-COVID, and we're looking at doing something like getting two or three of the best pitmasters in the area and sitting down together here at Smoking Hot headquarters and recording a podcast together But right now, we can't do that. So instead, we've decided that I'm going to interview Ben. Yep, he's sitting on the other side of the desk and is about to experience what it's like to be a guest on the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. And to make it even more interesting, the questions have come from members of the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook. Oh, and Ben has no idea what the questions are going to be. Before we get into it, I want to take a minute to tell you about our Hail Mary t-shirt. With artwork and printing done by local family-run Gold Coast businesses, our t-shirt just won first prize in the coveted barbecue apparel category at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's Annual Awards of Excellence. That makes it the number one barbecue t-shirt in the world for 2020. You can grab yours now at smokinghotconfessions.com forward slash shop forward slash. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Ben Arnott, founder of Smoking Hot Confessions. Welcome to the confessional. Uh, Thank you for having me. But considering we're all in lockdown at the moment, I literally had no other place to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's, 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 uh, it's a whole lot of new kinds of fun. Yeah, that's 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 a very positive spin on it. Yes, at least it's certainly uh, it's developing creativity. I can certainly say that much. Let's start at the beginning because when I first met you, although you did all right with sausage or steak on the barbecue, they were literally the only things that you could cook on a barbecue at the time. And you've come so far. I mean, you started out with snags and steak, and now six years later. We have 12 barbecues and you've won 10 NBBQA awards, seven of which happened a week and a half ago. I think we need to give the folks just a bit of history. Most people don't quite understand um, what exactly it is that you do, how you've done it or how you've got to this point. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So take it back to the start. Um, I think I, I think you know this story and maybe a couple of the listeners, but my first trip to hospital and, I'm pretty accident prone. So there's been several trips to hospital, but my first ever um, trip to hospital was barbecue related. So I was about two years old and we were living on the central coast of New South Wales down in Womberall. And um, it was back in the days where you were still allowed to burn off your rubbish in your, in the backyard. And nobody really understood too much about, you know, pollution and all that sort of nasty stuff. So I remember it was like one Sunday and my grandfather had come around and my father and my grandfather built this, they just sort of put a few bricks up and then laid some uh, some metal across the top of it, <laughs> threw all the garbage in, burnt off the garbage underneath, and then cooked some uh, some steak and sausage on the on the hot plate on top. And we had lunch and that. And then you know I, I I'm guessing I must have gone off to have a, to have a nap or something. I would have only been two or three years old. 
And um, I don't actually remember any of this, but my father tells the story. He says um, that I came out in the afternoon and, of course, the fire had all burnt out and there was just white ash all over the ground. And apparently I went, snow, and went tearing out of the house and ran across the yard and started stomping through the ashes and just burnt the soles of my feet so badly that my parents had to take me to hospital. And I spent a couple of weeks with my feet all bandaged up. But I I don't, I blessedly don't have any any uh, recollection of that. But um, yeah, my, my first ever trip to hospital was, was barbecue related. Now, you mentioned that that's your first ever trip to hospital. But my first question actually for you was going to be, what's your earliest barbecue memory? Is that your earliest barbecue memory or is there another? Um, not that one specifically, but barbecuing in the backyard with my grandfather and my father mm. it, at that house in Wombrel at the beach house was... Mm. Um, those would be the earliest memories, yeah, for sure. Mm. What was your first barbecue? Oh, the first barbecue that I ever owned was um, was one that my dad gave me that uh, we'd actually given to him for Father's Day several years before. But it was um, the first year that I moved out to university. I was 18 years old and basically my father had bought me a car. He bought me a he, – he made me a swag and he gave me this barbecue hmm. and said, right, off you go, son. Go have fun. It's every young man's dream. Yeah. And it was a little, uh, tiny little circular gas camping stove, uh, uh, gas camping barbecue. And so it was uh, it was smaller than a Weber. It was maybe two-thirds the size of a Weber around. Uh, bright orange, so, you know, you, you couldn't sort of blend in in the, in the bush if you did take a camping. Huh. And so, of course, being 18 and not having much money, the parties we had were always parties at at the house that we were living in, me and my three mates. And um, I was into homebrewing at the time as well. So I'd, I'd brew all the booze for the parties and then I'd break out this tiny little round camping barbecue and we'd have, you know, 20 or 30 people over and I'd start it up at about 6 p.m. and I'd just cook all through the night from like 6 till midnight and just make sure that everybody got fed because you could only feed so many people at a time. So we had to sort of, you know, get the guests to wait in shifts for this little barbecue and uh, – that little thing took a flogging, an absolute <laughs> flogging. And if you remember, that was actually the first barbecue that, that, that I had when we started living together in the flat in Artarman in Newcastle. Yes, I do. That little orange round one that I had out on the balcony there. That was your chick magnet. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Homebrew and barbecue and guitar. What more could a woman ask for? Yeah, well, I, I literally used to just drive around from, you know, party to party with this little uh, Nissan hatchback that I had, little Pulsar, and in the back I always carried a guitar, a swag, and this camping barbecue, and everywhere I went, there I was with the guitar and a barbecue and a, and a swag. Oh. I would have hit on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Dean Monk asks, what made you follow the path of barbecue? Well, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, so I'd always been into grilling because – Traditionally in Australia, what Australians call barbecue is actually grilling. So as you said at the top of the episode, it was steaks and snags and the some of the regular, you know, Australian sides of grilled tomatoes, onions and potato slices. But that was about it. Um, if I was feeling fancy, I'd throw a banana on there and grill it up slowly for, uh, for dessert. But um, it wasn't until I was – it was about 10 years ago now. I was about 30 years old and um, – I was working full-time. I had a full-time permanent job as a head of a department at a university, and which was unheard of to be 30 years old and, and, be, and be running a department at a university. And uh, it, it was a national university, campuses all around Australia, and they 
just suddenly decided that they were going to close Gold Coast Campus. Um, the venue was up for a rebuild and they decided it was cheaper just to close it and move all the students to Brisbane than it was to uh, to invest in a new Gold Coast Campus. So after, what, 17 years of being almost continuously employed, I've suddenly found myself unemployed. And um, it actually, the timing worked out really well with your um, uh, maternity leave because your maternity leave ran out a month after I was made redundant from the university. So I had found it really hard to find work. And so you went back to work and I, and I stayed at home. And all of a sudden, after 17 years of working and, you know, being the head of a department at a university, I'm sitting at home just staring at this one-year-old baby mm-hmm. and singing wiggle songs and going, okay, now what the hell am I going to do? Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, now we don't really think about it so much, but at the time it was actually a massive role reversal for both of us. Oh, it was huge, yeah. And, yeah, like, I mean... Yeah, do you want to talk a little like talk a little bit about that? Like how how because I mean that's basically where this all kind of came out of was that space that you're in. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So something that you and I've always said and always done is that we make our own rules for how we want to do things. We don't we don't have to do things the way other people do them just because that's the way other people do them. And so as I said, I was sitting at home just staring at this one year old baby going, Okay, so now what? And um I really didn't know how to be unemployed. So the very first thing I did was I put the baby Bjorn on, slipped the baby in the baby Bjorn, took him down to Bunnings, bought two trailer loads worth of material and I built a six by three metre gazebo off the front of the house. <laughs> and because uh, I just didn't know how to be unemployed. And so the the baby had a great time in the baby Bjorn holding the paintbrush and painting all the beams and everything. And well, sorry, not the beams, the posts. The baby <laughs> didn't go on the roof. Um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and so I was looking at this baby and I thought, right, if I'm going to be at home, I'm not going to spend the whole time just sitting in the house. So I'm going to cook as many of the meals as possible outside on the barbecue. So I'd take the baby out, put him on the grass, throw some toys out there for him to play with. He had the dog and the cat there with him as well. So, you know, there were things for him to do. And I'd sit there and I'd um, I'd light up the, the trusty, reliable Bunnings four-burner hooded gas barbecue and, uh, and I'd, I'd start cooking all our meals on that. And I started getting into, um, cooking entire meals on the, on the gas barbecue. So protein and three veg or, you know, things like that, desserts, all that sort of thing. And a buddy of mine came around one day and he said, you know what you're doing? You like, you should start a website and put this up on the website and, you know, start to make a bit of a brand of it. Cause people want to know how to do this stuff. Like what you're doing is incredible. And so that's how Smoking Hot Confessions started. That's how I sort of got into that. The low and slow side of things came about when your mother actually came to visit um, during that time of unemployment. So yeah. three years before I started Smoking Hot Confessions. Mm, that was just after Evan was born. Yeah, he was yeah. Yeah, He was about 13 months, 14 months old by that yeah. stage. And uh, I remember you telling me to take your mum outside to look at the barbecue and I took her outside and showed her this beautiful, spotless, immaculate, sparkling, stainless steel, four burner gas barbecue. Hmm. And she just looked at me inside and said, oh, honey, that's not barbecue. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, go inside, get on Facebook, uh, sorry, get on YouTube, look up smoked brisket, look up pulled pork. And of course, there wasn't a whole lot of channels up back at that stage, but Barbecue Pit Boys was up. And uh, she was out for a three week stay. Uh, by the end of the first week, I'd ordered my 
first ever smoker, which was the old Pro Q that's still sitting out there. Um, it was actually off the first shipping container that came to Australia of Pro Q. So that's how far that that goes back. And uh, we spent the next two weeks with her teaching me how to use it and trying different recipes and all that sort of stuff. And it all just sort of took off from there. Mm, so that's yeah. how the that's how I got into the low and slow side of things. The the real barbecue, the authentic barbecue. What was the first thing she taught you to cook? The first thing we did was we went for pulled pork because mm. she figured that that would be the easiest thing. Mm. And of course, so we're, we're talking 2012 here. Aussie butchers really didn't know what we were talking about. So I ordered an entire shoulder minus the skin with the hock cut off. Mm. So it was this giant, about seven kilo, just chunk of almost whole forequarter of this giant pig and I stuck it on the on the pro queue there and it went for hours and hours and hours. I, I think we're up to about 12 hours or something and it just was not going to get up to 203 degrees and I, I didn't know anything about the stall at that stage and it was just stuck at 165 and I'm, it's getting later and later and later and it like you and your mother both early birds, it's like 8 o'clock and you're, you're, you're looking for bed. And uh, I was like, I, I'm, I'm just going to pull it. This will have to do, this will just be it. And it was delicious roast pork. <laughs> but being a shoulder, shoulders aren't meant to be roast pork. Mm. So it was still quite uh, still quite gristly and lots of collagen and stuff in there. And But your your mother was very polite. She was very, uh, you know, very forgiving. She said, yeah, she's a good teacher. She said, this is the best pulled pork I've ever had. And I, <laughs> I just. Oh, I just, she loved you. I just. <laughs> I just smiled and said, thanks, Carolyn. But I knew, like, I knew it wasn't right. She knew it wasn't right, but we were both just pretending everything was great and off we went. Oh, she would have been so proud of you for just having a go. <laughs> All right. So speaking of just kind of education, have you ever taken a barbecue class? Yeah, I did actually. So we've just been talking about the end of 2012 there. So the first barbecue class that I took that really sort of opened my eyes to to what you could really do on a barbecue was um, uh, you actually shouted me for my birthday. You bought me a ticket to um, to a barbecue school class um, up in Brisbane. Yeah, and it, it was. It, it was, was seafood. It was seafood matching with beers, craft brews. And I remember I was so jealous because I was pregnant with my son at the time and I had to drive and I went and watched a movie while by myself while you, um, while you went and did that course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it mm. was um, – it was near the, it was like near the cruise ship terminal or something there. Oh, it smelled so good and I wanted to drink so badly. Yeah. And um, the, the, I think the guys there, thought, uh, I think they thought I was crazy because all the other guys there were just interested in just drinking some beer and just having some food. And I've sat there and I've pulled out a notebook and a pen. And you could just see that the, that the guy that was teaching the class, he's used to just, you know, cooking a four-course feed for a bunch of guys while they drink beer and chat. And I was actually sitting there, you know, sticking my hand up, asking questions, writing notes in the book. And you could tell just from the look on his face that I was um, something of an anomaly to the uh, to their usual situation there. Yeah, I remember actually turning up at the end of um, at the end of the movie to come collect you. And it was like everybody was just hanging out, just drinking and, you know, eating the spoils of what was left over. And you were sitting there with a notepad and like a pencil. And the guys were like, you know, come try this and have a look at this and you know, they're really nice, actually lovely. Like let us take home some extra recipes and stuff like that. Cause they could see how keen you were. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I think they actually even gave me, um, 
one of the packets for one of their other classes that had all their recipes from one of the other classes as well because yep. they were like, look, this guy just wants to know this, so let's give him all this extra stuff. So, yeah, I, I took home the the recipes from the seafood barbecue and one other one as well. I can't remember what it was right now. Mm, but I remember it's delicious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'd like to talk about the name Smoking Hot Confessions. How did you come up with that? <laughs> hmm. Um. So I was in – so Smoking Hot Confessions – started on January 1, 2015. That was my New Year's resolution was I was going to build this website and do this barbecue project. And um, I wanted to try and think of a way to do things differently to how anything else had been done. And I'd been sort of looking around at, at, at different barbecue team names and that, and, you know, they're all sort of double entendres and all that sort of thing. And um, I decided that what I was going to do was on the website – I was going to write recipes in the style, in the writing style of the old um, Playboy and Penthouse Letters magazines. Your son would have been like, my dad wrote a porno cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty sure someone's already trademarked that name. Um, But yeah, so I was going to write these these recipes as narratives rather than recipes and style them um, like like a Penthouse letter. And so I was racking my brains trying to come up with different sort of sexy but still barbecue, naughty, double entendre type names. And I arrived at Smoking Hot Confessions. Great, beautiful. Bought the domain name, did all that sort of stuff, sat down to write the first recipe. The cursor was blinking on the computer screen. I couldn't even get one sentence out because that just wasn't me. That just wasn't my my style. That wasn't my voice. That wasn't my my way and uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher by profession. I've worked in, the, in education for almost 20 years now. And I just went, you know what? Let's just go with what I'm good at and let's, let's take an educational approach to the website, which was all it was at that stage was just the website. So let's take an educational approach to the articles, to the recipes, to all that sort of stuff, to the photography even. Because um, if you're if you're wanting to build an educational website, you need to make sure you've got photographs of all the different steps, not just um, just a photograph of the final product. Uh, you can get away with that in a cookbook, but when it's a website, you've really like you've got the opportunity. It's not costing you anything to print it. You really need to put all those different steps in. So, I'm probably jumping the jumping the timeline here on your questions. But uh, when I built the new website in 2018, there was something like two and a half thousand photographs that had to be ported across from the old website onto the new website. 2,000. That was about 2,500, yeah. It was huge. Wow. It was huge. It's a a big website. I had no idea. All right. So um, let's talk about your first competition. Like how did you get into competition? How did you go from, you know, barbecuing and then working on your blog to actually deciding you wanted to kind of throw your hat in the ring and have a go? Um, so my very first ever competition was, it predated Smoking Hot Confessions and, um, I was on a forum back when forums were still a thing. I was on a barbecue forum Hmm. and, um, I remember seeing posts from, you know, Jay Beaumont back then saying, oh, you know, we're, we're thinking about putting on a competition, something like that. It was down in Port Macquarie. I, I couldn't get down there. And, um, about a month after that, there was a guy up in Brisbane that I was sort of chatting with online and pretty friendly with. 
and he was putting on a, a barbecue competition and sort of different things ended up happening with that. And uh, some of the teams dropped out and he reached out to me and said, mate, is there any chance that you want to come and do a barbecue competition at my place? I said, when is it? And he goes, 48 hours. And I went, mate, I've got no idea. I don't know, like, how does how does a competition work? What is it? Da, 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 da. And he filled me in on the details. We had to cook. Uh, it, it was just a one-day comp. So it was, um, it was tri-tip, chicken, and... Uh, I think the other one was pork ribs, maybe. Mm. And um, I don't remember. Yeah, I, I I think it was pork ribs. And so my first problem then was working out what tri tip was. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, right, I remember that. Australian butchers had no idea. How uh, many what, How many butchers did you go to? Se- seventeen. Yep. Uh, I spent the whole day in the car, and I drove around seventeen different butchers here on the Gold Coast. Um, before I finally found one who knew what I was talking about and he was able to cut me to that day. And um, so I had 48 hours notice. So 24 hours beforehand, I had a crack at cooking these um, these two tri-tips with this beef rub that I'd been working on. And it was absolutely delicious. And so I finished eating it and I went to bed and I got up the next day and I went to this competition. And uh, I, met a, I met a couple of blokes there, uh, Greg Dean from... Uh, the Burley Barbecue promoter. Uh, he was one of the competitors there. And I remember the Meat Sweats was there as well. And they'd just come off the back of winning grand champion at the first ever Port Mac there. And um, I remember sitting there and uh, we're all just sort of sitting around in the sun. We're in that, uh, in that downtime, you know, kicking back, having some beers and that. And I remember seeing Vaughn from the Meat Sweats sitting there chopping up parsley, chop, 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 chop. And I went and I asked him, mate, what are you doing? what's with all the parsley? Because I didn't even know about hand inboxes. <laughs> I knew nothing. And uh, and he said, oh, you know, we, we, we chop up the, the greenery to put in the bottom of the box and present the, uh, present the meat on. I went, oh, wow, what a top idea. And, and he reached down behind him and he grabbed me the, the bunches of parsley that he decided he didn't want to use. And he said, mate, here's our spares and leftovers. Oh, bless. You can have all that. Go and take that. And so I took the parsley back to the tent and I talked to uh, to my teammates there who were Nigel and Dad, who have been long-term Smoking Occupations team members ever since. And uh, and Fan was there as well. And um, and she uh, she got really excited by this idea of decorating the, the box. So she and Nigel jumped into Nigel's van, ripped on down to, to the nearest Woolies and brought back two shopping bags full of green groceries because we weren't, we didn't understand that you could only put in <laughs> parsley, course. and so Fan sat there with my paring knife, and she carved like a like a little map of Australia out of a red capsicum. Oh and my we, word! And we <laughs> that's we, awesome. We had the parsley and the and the lettuce boxes uh, in that one. Uh, sorry, we had parsley and lettuce in the in the bottom of the box. Put the meat on top, and then positioned like this little map of Australia cut out of a red capsicum on the on the top. And oh, she. That's awesome. She she cut a jack o' lantern out of like out of out of something else and we, it's amazing. We, we had the most colourful boxes there, and um, to my surprise, we actually managed to take out first place beef at that competition. And uh, Evan would have been about three at the time, and I remember I was holding him when they called out uh, the the team name. Then was uh, Lucy the boxer because I, I I had to give this guy a team name straight away, and I was sitting there thinking. 
uh, 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 I don't have a team name and the dog was laying on the floor right in front of me. Um, and I went, Lucy the Boxer, that's the team name. And so they, they called out Lucy the Boxer and I went, oh, my God. And I went up to collect the trophy stool with Evan on my hip and, um, and they, they handed me this little golden cow trophy. And I remember Evan just went, my cow, and reached out and just grabbed the cow trophy. And that was the last time I saw it for about four years until I think about 18 months ago I found it in his bedroom and I went, my cow, <laughs> and I took it back and now it sits in the cupboard here in, uh, in the studio. Yep. Oh. Um, we right. finished dead last in that competition, by the way. Oh, doesn't matter. <laughs> with, with boxes like that, you know, Capsicum Australia's, well, I'm disappointed. Funnily enough, pulled chicken doesn't seem to score well with the judges. Pulled chicken. Oh, that's, but what did you learn from that competition? Like, oh, so much. What, so give me, much. Give me a couple of lessons that you took away from that. Um, first of all, just cooking a whole chook and then pulling it and serving shredded chicken. Tastes great. <laughs> doesn't present well. Doesn't present well. Judges. It's like barf. <laughs> yeah. Judges don't enjoy it. And presentation really, really matters. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue team has had a rotation of members since it started due mainly to the fact that many of our team members have been international students looking to broaden their culinary skills before heading back to their countries to work as well-respected chefs. Um, who are the team members you've worked with the longest and how do each of them contribute? Um, well, something just to explain um, just a little bit of background on that. So Smoking Hot Confessions was a website and a brand before it was ever a competition barbecue team. And so because of that, we sort of did things different to the way a lot of barbecue teams start out. A lot of barbecue teams start out as a barbecue team and then they grow that and they develop that into a brand. Um, but I already had that brand established and, uh, and I had, you know, I had business aspirations for that right from the start, um, growing it up as a, as a, as a web-based business, as a website and all that sort of thing. So that's the reason that we had the, oh, it's one of the reasons that we had the, um, the, the gypsy team, as I call it. So mm. each competition that we went in, we'd just reach out to our, to our student bases from our day jobs and we'd say, who's got some cooking experience? Who wants to come along to a, to a barbecue festival? Because uh, one thing that, um, that I was always sort of mindful of was, sort of blurring that ground, blurring that line between cooking on the team and ha having co-ownership of the brand, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I didn't want to um, relinquish any any ownership of the brand because it was something I'd already established beforehand and I'd built up and done all that sort of stuff. And it was also my only creative outlet at the time. Um, so I wanted to, to maintain control of that. And so because of that, I didn't think it was fair to, to bring on team members, say, listen, you're responsible for 25% of the bills, but I'm not going to give you any kind of ownership over the brand or anything like that. So I always, uh, I, I footed the cost of the bills ourselves. <laughs> I won't say myself. It was, uh, and uh, so. Yes, yes. I, have, I do have to say it's, it's a relatively expensive sport, barbecuing and. It is, yeah enjoyable worth worth every penny but good lord yeah yeah so but 
because of that creative decision um, to maintain that creative control myself, uh, we, we we never had regular teammates, and so we developed this sort of this this roster of of what I call a a gypsy team. So we got some some core members who've who've been to almost every competition, and so that was Nigel and Dad and Jenny, my my auntie Jenny, my father's sister, and. Uh, so the the four of us were the the sort of the the core four, um, but uh, the rest of the teams, depending on who could make it, who couldn't, to the different competitions, we'd reach out to our international student base because um, through our day jobs, we're both English language teachers, so we've got this sort of this this pool of uh, of language students who are looking to have these incredible experiences here in Australia. So we uh, we'd reach out to them and say, who's got some cooking experience? Um, who wants to come along and be part of the team. It'll take a whole weekend. You must be able to follow instructions. Yeah, I think Michael May would be a really good example of that. Exactly, yeah. I, I was going to say Michael. He uh, he came along to two different competitions. Um, he's an interesting guy. He's uh, he's from Switzerland. He's Swiss and he's a classically French trained chef. So the food that he cooks is just absolutely amazing, but he'd never experienced low and slow barbecue before. And so as a chef, he was just fascinated with this idea of here's, here's an outdoor competition. Um, and because we're on the Gold Coast, we're talking about burly barbecue competition. So the pitch to him was really simple. It was, we're going to go cook barbecue on the beach for a whole weekend and we're going to hand some food into some judges, maybe win some prizes, but just drink some beer, listen to some music, light some fires and have some fun. And he's like, I'm in, I'm so in. <laughs> and yeah, uh, awesome. we did we did uh, back-to-back competitions, Burley one weekend and then Bangalore the next weekend. And he was at both competitions and um, Burley was really hot and really warm and we we loved that because it was the middle of winter but it was, you'd, you'd never know it, partly because it's the Gold Coast, we're spoiled. But uh, Bangalore the next weekend was so cold, freezing. And I've, I've been to Bangalore about four years in a row now. And every year it is just so cold. And I remember because um, something I always insist on when I'm captain of a barbecue team is uh, sleep rosters. So just to make sure that everybody gets at least four hours of sleep, uh, we take turns watching the fire because during those late night hours, there's not a whole lot to do. The meat's just doing its thing. You know, your brisket's just sitting there. All you got to do is just keep an eye on the dial and throw another log on every 30, 40 minutes. It's not a big deal. But I remember waking up from my... Uh, sleep shift and seeing Michael with his chair pulled right up, almost sitting on top of the firebox with his legs like splayed. Uh, so the firebox is almost right up in his crotch and just almost hugging this, uh, this, this radar hill uh, smoker that I've got. I said, Michael, are you okay? And he goes, it's so cold. And I said, Michael, you need to go have a nap. Like you need to go have a sleep. He said, it's too cold to sleep. I said, mate, you're from Switzerland. You, you grew up in like yeah, 12 feet of snow. And he just looked at me and he said, Switzerland's not this cold. Oh, oh I doubt that. I, I highly doubt that. Yeah. I like acclimated living on the Gold Coast for a little while. But it's really interesting because he, he really got bit by the, by the real authentic barbecue bug there. And he's now um, trying to line up uh, barbecue competitions in the Swiss mountain castle where he's a chef um, – over in Switzerland and he sent me photos of it and it's it's your stereotypical classical Swiss castle on a mountainside snow eight feet deep everywhere all around and it's uh it, it's 
picture postcard perfect where he works. So if he can put that together and, and pull that off, that'll be really cool. And that's a perfect introduction to my next question by Boris Turk. If you could barbecue anywhere in the world, where would it be and what would you cook? In a Swiss castle. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, wait, wait, Get on it, Michael. Come on. <laughs> Um, oh, wow. There's, there's so many places. Um, in terms of competition barbecue, uh, of the competitions that I've been to around the world, I think if I could be a competitor at a particular festival, it'd probably have to be hogs for the cause over in New Orleans. Mm, um, just in terms of an international, like outside of Australia, if we're talking outside of Australia, um, it was fascinating. It's pork only. Um, so there's three or four different categories. It's all pork. The most interesting they the most interesting category is what they call pork puree, so it's a it's a bit of a a, a fun play on pot puree, and uh, what it is it's basically anything pork, as long as it's got pork meat in it you can slap it in a box and hand it in, and so the creativity there is just it's unbridled and the event itself is all for charity it's all raising money for kids with brain cancer, and um, that there's no intermediaries there's no nothing so the the money raised goes to the organization that puts on the festival. The festival puts the money directly in the hands of the families with these kids that are battling brain cancer. And uh, I was there last year just as a guest of, um, of Barbecue Ninja and, uh, and, his, and his barbecue family over there, um, Yazoo, Yazoo Barbecue, Barbecue of Yazoo. Oh, I'm having a mental blank, sorry. Um, anyway, Barbecue Ninja and, and his barbecue family there. I was just a guest there. And uh, that festival, they raised 2.4 million US dollars. In how much time? Uh, well, the they have 12 months oh, in, okay. the, in, yep, the, yep, yep. in the lead up to the festival. Yep. But each team is responsible for their own fundraising. So wow, some of these- a huge amount of money. Some of these teams, yeah, yeah. Some of these teams, they start fundraising from day one immediately after the festival's finished. And they spend the whole 12 months. And wow. I actually got to interview um, Team Fleur de Q that, uh, that were, they're the returning fundraising champions. And they actually managed to pull it off again um, this year. They raised something like $450,000 oh US my. dollars wow. just, just by themselves. And um, you weren't there, uh, but you would have seen the, you would have seen the photos they're the ones that you will see in my photos on the left-hand side of the music stage. There was like a four-story um, uh, scaffolding castle type thing um, set up beside the stage there. That was them. And so they've got four levels of different bars and depending on what ticket people buy, they can go all the way up to the top floor and then, a, and then at the back of their site as well, they had a 500-person marquee because people can come and they can buy tickets to come and eat at that at that uh, tent over the weekend. So they had a 500-person marquee out the back and this four-story scaffolding structure. And they're also the team that you would have seen the little photos and videos that I did of that beautiful, um, fully, reno- uh, fully restored convertible muscle car yeah. that was there. It was an Oldsmobile 442 convertible. It was like 1970 or 1972, something like that. And they went with the 442. The 442 is 442 cubic inches of motor, which is massive, massive. It's seven odd liters of V8. But they went with that because the year before, they'd beaten the number two fundraising team 
by just $442. So that was the winning margin between them and the, and the number two fundraisers. So as a bit of a bit of a joke on them, they went and found this old 442 Oldsmobile and uh, fully stripped it down to nothing. They had boards up with all the different uh, with all the different photos and that of the restoration, stripped it down to nothing. Every bolt, every panel, every piece was all completely redone. And then they raffled it off um, over the over the weekend. It was like a hundred US dollars a ticket or something. And they sold just thousands on thousands of tickets. So if I was going to compete anywhere in the world, I'd love to throw my hat in the ring over there um, just because it's a huge party. There's a hundred teams there. There's two separate, um, you know, band stages running all the time. And it's just, it, it's phenomenal. Everyone's there just to have a good time and, um, and maybe, maybe hand some pork in. So uh, it, if I was going to choose anywhere globally, like outside of Australia, I'd say it's probably got to be hogs for the course. If you could guess spot on one barbecue team anywhere in the world, which team would it be and why? Ooh, guess spot on a barbecue team anywhere in the world. To be honest, I'd probably love to tag along with any of the Aussie teams that are going over for either the Royal or Memphis in May. Um, that's a huge opportunity. Those competitions are at the are at the top of the ladder, and uh, you know I'll I'd, I'll wash dishes and take photographs and make people look good. You know, like I I don't need to uh, to be at the forefront of anything, but uh, yeah, just to be involved with that would be phenomenal. Dream team barbecue team, fantasy barbecue team. Who is on it? What does it look like? And what are they responsible for? This is one of my common questions I ask people when I interview people. Uh, who would be on your dream barbecue team? Um, wow. Uh, probably Dan Barrett to start with. Uh, Michael Trakovich and Chris Davey from Smoking Hot Bros, I'd say. What would they be responsible for? Whatever they want to. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want. They're all so much better than me. I'd Fair just, enough. I'd, I'd, again, I'd probably just wash dishes and take photos. All right. <laughs> Speaking of, of getting into events in sort of non-traditional sorts of way, can we just have a quick conversation about Houston? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 2018 for the Houston World Stock, uh, World Houston Livestock and Rodeo Show, the World's Barbecue Championships. Um, we ended up traveling over there and competing in that. And, uh, that was wild. That was wild. That was next level. Like I've never seen anything, anything like it. It was like, how would you describe it? It was like the biggest music festival almost you've ever seen, except bigger than that with like, it was a, it, it was, was a, oh. it was a music festival combined with a barbecue competition combined with the world's largest rodeo in Houston, Texas. So so all the cowboys are out, all the horses are there, all the cows are there, all the huge trucks are there. Um, there was 250 barbecue teams. And again, the, the whole thing is there, the, the barbecue competition side of thing is all there to raise money to send underprivileged kids to college uh, or what we call university here in Australia. And uh, again, uh, there was a three-day barbecue festival. We raised 27 million US dollars because it's all corporate sponsorship. So barbecue and business are, uh, you know, finger in glove in America. They're all, it's all corporate tax deductions. And um, so all the big corporations just love just throwing money at it. And, uh, you know, it builds profile for them. The underprivileged kids benefit. 
um, by being able to go to college on scholarships awarded by the HLSR and um, the companies in turn get tax deductions. So it's a it's a win-win for, for everybody involved. And I think you might have been um, home by this stage, but uh, I remember one particular time a lady turned up with um, two, like, they're bigger than our boxes of beer here in Australia. They're like two 45-can boxes of beer on big handles and she walked them into our site and plonked them down and said, here you are, these are for you. And we said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we didn't order that. And she goes, it doesn't matter. And just turned around and walked out. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, but how did we get there? How did you get there? I think that's the more interesting question. Yeah. Um, so I, I've mentioned the, the Port Mac barbecue competition there a couple of times. It's um, Barbecue Wars. And so 2017, I'd been, I'd just started to uh, get some traction with Smoking Hot Confessions. It was starting to get recognised um, sort of nationally around Australia. And so I'd started travelling to more and more barbecue festivals and barbecue competitions. And, you know, at this stage I was, um, I was doing uh, photography and just, just running around with a field recorder and a microphone and just doing podcasts. I wasn't even doing videos at that stage. And through that journey in 2017, I met a couple of these other fellas at, at a bunch of different festivals uh, from New South Wales and from uh, Victoria. And so the one of the guys rang me up one day and said, hey, listen, Port Macquarie is about in the middle for all of us. Do you want to just come down and just hang out and we'll get on the beers and cook some meat and just have a good time? I was like, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, they all came up from down south and I came down from up north and we just sort of met together and partied all weekend and threw some meat in a box and threw it at the judges. And uh, somehow we managed to pull out third place. Um, <laughs> I remember you guys were so excited about third place. We, I, I don't think anyone was more surprised than we were. <laughs> um, we, we won like a giant trophy and all this sort of stuff. And it was just ridiculous. But that actually got us a, um, it got us a, a bung in the draw for the invitation to go compete at Houston. And the way the rules were then if you got a third, second or first place, you got X number of entries in the draw. So we got, for coming in third, we had one entry in the draw. That's it. There were hundreds of entries in that draw. There were teams there who had just smashed it all year round, multiple grand champions. They must have had 10 or 15, you know, bungs in the draw. And I remember um, I, I didn't even bother waking up in the morning to watch the live feed of Jess Pryles pulling the pulling the bungs out of the drawer because she, she's over in Texas. So it was on different time zones. And uh, I didn't even bother getting up because I was like, we've got like a one in probably 400 chance. And sure enough, I wake up about two hours after the draw's done and my mate Anthony's ringing me and frantically texting me going, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, and I rang like, <laughs> I'm like, what? What's up? Why are you blowing up my phone? I, I, I just woke up. And he goes, you're going to Houston. I said, what? And I, I jumped on the internet and I found Jess Pryles' video. And, yeah, sure enough, the very first one she'd pulled out, it was us. And uh, I, you, you can see the look on her face. I think that's not what she was expecting either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so it was uh, – uh, we, we like to joke that we basically um, – Stephen Bradbury'd our way into, uh, into the Houston World's Barbecue Championships. But we came good. We, uh, we, we practiced hard in the, in the downtime between the two and we finished 90th. 
So to, to, to be in the top 100 barbecue teams in the world, having cooked together once before and just practicing remotely and separately in the, in the, in the differences there, in the time difference there, I'm, I'm still pretty happy with that. But yeah, we, we did, we, we, we Stephen Bradbury our way right into the, uh, into the world's barbecue championships oh, in Houston. I think I was just grateful we didn't come in last. Yeah. To be honest. Like the, the quality of the people that were in that international village was like, oh. you know, though, didn't Manning Valley take second? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, they did. I, was it second or first? I think they took second. Was it second? We'll for, to, oh, I feel for, so bad. For brisket. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's three years ago now. 18, 19, sure 20. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was second. But it was like, talk about Australia representing. It was amazing. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. To the amount of talent that was that was there, you should, I wish our viewers could have seen just the dessert category and the the team that won that. If you want to talk a little bit about that. The, the Swedish team. Yeah. Uh, Morgan, uh, I'm mental blanking his last name now. Starts with an L. Anyway. Um, he and his girlfriend and his two friends, he and his girlfriend own a restaurant over there. And, um, and his, and his two friends that came over with him, they, they work there as well. So they're all chefs. Um, they're all extremely highly trained, extremely, um, like high level chefs. They cook for the King and Queen of Sweden regularly. Um, they are the restaurant of choice to cater the Nobel Peace Prizes there. Like they, they, these guys are London, Morgan London. That's his surname. Um, these guys are just huge, absolutely huge. And, uh, they were right beside us and the dessert that they cooked in a camp oven, it was unbelievable. It was like a, some kind of like chocolate outer layer and they piped some kind of banana mousse or something inside and then melted caramel as well. And then like decorated all the outside of it and, and did it all in a camp oven inside a smoker. Yeah, it was incredible. I, it was I remember watching them make it and just like, because they were right next door to us. And I remember like walking over to our tent and just going, oh, sorry, guys. Well, we thought <laughs> this, yeah, this, this, we're not going to win this one. Don't worry. Well, we thought that that, that we were being uh, really creative. So we had Saffron um, guesting on our team over there in the, in the States. Um, she's an, she, she's an Aussie expat living over in America now and do, doing very well. But I, I got a feeling we're going to talk more about her probably, mm. probably a bit later on. Um, she'd been working on how to do mini pavlovas in a camp oven. And so that was really creative. It was really innovative. We were really proud of it. And then we saw we saw the Swedes hand in and went, oh, okay. Take well, that. that was nice practice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. No, that was, that was, that was a really, really great experience. And the learning curve I think was massive for you guys. The, the learning curve, the, the eye opening to the wider world of what barbecue can be. Australia is still really in its infancy and in, in terms of the barbecue scene. Um, And, you know, it's, it, it is a bit harder for us just uh, logistically speaking we've got a country that's almost as big as mainland united states with something like eight and a half percent of the population so getting together a huge barbecue competition you know 250 teams we would have to pull almost every single team in the country um to to put together something like that and uh so just to see it was almost like having a glimpse into the future of what it could be like over here in australia so it was fascinating for that 
and the networking opportunities there were just amazing. So that that particular barbecue competition was the first time I've worked with Saffron and she and I really hit it off and we've we've done a lot of work together since. Um, the barbecue ninja, Craig Vahaga, um, he's become a, a lifetime member of the Smoking Hot Confessions family. He's, he's gold. Um, and uh, the Ubon's Barbecue of Yazoo City, that's his that's his barbecue team name. Um, just throwing back to the conversation we had before about hogs for the cause. I couldn't remember the name. Ubon's Barbecue of Yazoo City. So meeting him and the rest of that family, um, homeless John from um, from Salt Lake, uh, he, he came along to that as well. So that was good to hang out with him. Um, he, he's not actually homeless. He's actually one of the most amazing pit masters you'd ever meet. He's just um, he's just got this huge scraggly beard and everybody gives him a hard time and says he looks homeless. But um, he's he's a barrel of laughs. That guy. He's he's great value, and um, he cooks brisket on the quantity that we can't even we can't even fathom. I mean, I I interviewed the um, chief operations officer for Salt Lake uh, for a for one of the episodes of the podcast a while back now thirty something thirty eight thirty nine something like that the episode number and uh, just over the Thanksgiving to New Year period, Johnny cooks over 100,000 briskets and they get shipped out all around the country in, in like uh, dry ice boxes and stuff. Uh, the, the volume, like, we, you know, I get, I get four briskets in my radar hill. I'm like, whoo, doing a big cook today. <laughs> and, you know, mm. Johnny turns over 100,000 in like three months every oh, year. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, you mentioned um, – meeting Saffron and working Saffron. And I think it's really important that we kind of bring her back up again because she's been really um, instrumental in helping bridge uh, that relationship between um, you and the NBBQA. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so as I said before, um, Saffron, the, f- the first time I'd really worked with her was, uh, was at the World's Barbecue Championships in 2018 in Houston. Before that, I had met her once before at um, at a little barbecue side comp outside of Meat Stock 2017, 2017. Um, put on by by Rowan um, Rowan from Tasmania, uh, Rowan Slow Barbecue Team, and it was it was just a rip off. And so, because all like so many teams were traveling to Melbourne from for Meat Stock Melbourne. He, th- he thought it would be fun just to have the night before to have someone um, put together this little rib competition. And so he organised a bunch of people to, to lend some smokers. Uh, Manhorn Smokers lent all the smokers. Um, uh, sponsors came together and threw some money in the, in the pot so um, Rowan could go and buy all the briskets from uh, – the pork ribs from Costco. Abel from Clean Heat um, donated all the charcoal and put up all the prize money and uh, – we actually went down for that. Do you remember that? We went down to Melbourne? Yeah, that was, yep, I certainly do. That yeah. was for meat stock. That, that, that was right before meat stock. Yeah. And so that was the first time I actually met Saffron. She'd, um, she was over from America on other business anyway and decided she was going to have a crack at this uh, competition and meat stock and stuff. And so at that rib off was, was the first time that I'd met her. And then we ended up working together at, um, at Houston. And then, yeah, at, as you said, into the NBBQA. Uh, the MBBQA is the National Barbecue and Grilling Association over in America and it is the premier industry body for barbecue uh, in the United States. So um, it's not 
it's not barbecue competitions, it's the entire industry. So it's manufacturers, sources, rubs, restaurants, um, food trucks, you know, it's, it's the business side of barbecue is what that's dedicated to. And um, shortly after Houston was wrapped up and finished in 2018, um, Saffron announced that she's uh, commencing a two-year contract as the president of the NBBQA. And um, having done some work with her at Houston and she saw what I was doing running around interviewing people and doing photography and all that sort of stuff for um, NBBQA twenty. 18 she had said oh you know you should put your podcast in um to the to the competitions because that they'd expanded their the uh, the annual awards of excellence to include um media so you know tv shows podcasts photography uh websites books ebooks you know all that sort of stuff as well um so i was sort of you know laughing like, oh yeah yeah sure okay I'll, I'll i'll put my podcast in um, you know, thinking that a little barbecue podcast from Australia is, you know, not going to make it in a in a big industry uh, conference awards night over in America. And sure enough, um, we win second place, and we, we weren't there to uh, to walk up on stage and and collect the collect the prize. But I remember I was at work, and um, I was on a like a morning tea break, and I was just flipping through my phone, and it came up saying. Um, uh, the name of the barbecue show was Behind the Smoke. Uh, it was Instagram. Behind the Smoke has started a live video. Oh, okay. I'll click on that. And it's um, the blokes from that show and uh, Barbecue Central and I think um, Best Barbecue Show were having a round table after the Awards of Excellence night was over. And I just happened to tune in at the point where they were recapping the prizes. And I thought, I was just listening through and they're going, okay, so fourth place was this, third place was that, second place was Smoking Hot Confessions out of Australia. I went, what? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I put a comment on the thing. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. And, of course, they're, they're reading these, these comments come through live. Like, oh, Ben's watching this right now. He had no idea. Oh, yeah, congratulations, Ben. And then I get an offline message later saying, do you want to do a – like a live Instagram video with us. Yes, I definitely want to do that. So I snuck out of work and I ducked across the road to <laughs> um, to JB Hi-Fi and I grabbed a little cheap headset, went and hid in the car in the car park, jumped online, jumped back on Instagram and, and did a live video call with uh, with Behind the Smoke, just talking about Smoking Hot Confessions and, and winning that at, at NBBQA. And so, of course, during 2018, um, that was when I really started to – start traveling a lot with smoking hot confessions. And so my coverage was increasing. Um, I'd, I'd added videos to the interview, to the way I was doing interviews at competitions at that stage. So that was starting to get a lot of, attra- of, of traction. And uh, Saffron actually invited me over um, to NBBQA. It was in Kansas City in 2019. And uh, she invited me over to come and work at the, at the festival. She said, listen, I'd, I realise that this is a bit of a long shot, um, but would you like to come in and work at the festival? We'll give you free entry to the entire conference. Um, you know, just come and do your thing. Do the photos, do the video interviews, record your podcasts, all that sort of stuff. And, of course, when, when I looked at the map, Kansas City was, what, about a four hours, a three or four hour drive north of um, Fort Smith where your family are. Yeah. And so we went, yep, no worries, we're going to be there, we'll turn it into a family trip. 
And uh, yeah, we went over there for 2019 and did a bit of a three-week tour there. So we landed in New Orleans and had two weeks in New Orleans. I went to two barbecue competitions there and worked there. Jumped in the car, drove all the way up to Kansas City and worked at the festival there and, and did the festival there. And um, and then had a, about 10 days off to uh, to go hang out with family and that. And I did try and sneak in competing at a SCA competition, but it got called off due to a tornado about 12 hours before we were supposed to uh, start handing the stakes in. So um, I, I'm glad they did call that off because that was a pretty destructive tornado and something like eight people died or something. So... It was uh, it was pretty serious, and um, you know, heart, heart goes out to those people. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 very glad they pulled the pin on that competition. And uh, yeah, so that was 2019, and we picked up. Um, 2019 was, I think it was second place for best barbecue website, uh, which was the new website that I'd spent all of 2018 building, and um, third place for the podcast. I think was that year. So it was a bummer to say the least that we had to cancel our trip to the States for the NBBQA awards. Um, but you did get some pretty positive feedback from the NBBQA community this year. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So after the success in, in 2019, we, um, we decided to really hit it for, for 2020. And so I, I doubled down on everything I was doing. I, I worked on improving my photography, improving my recording for the podcast, the videos, um, continued tweaking the website, like just really putting everything in there. Um, what a lot of people don't, don't realize is that, um, smoking on confessions is I put about 30 hours a week into that. And that's, um, all after hours on top of a full-time job. So, uh, luckily you and our son are, are early birds. So you're, you're usually in bed by eight o'clock and I've got from eight till midnight on my own every night, seven nights a week after that. So, um, yeah, actually, could, could I just sidetrack for just a second and just, can you just go through an average day? Because I don't think a lot of people understand that you work a 40-hour job on top of all of this. So, like, when do you wake up typically on a Monday? What happens? Okay, all right. So, a, a, a day in the life of, is that what you're talking about? Yes, please. All right. So, the alarm goes off at 6.30 a.m. and uh, I drag my bones out of bed. Um, I am not a morning person. No, you are not. At all. Um, I am well and truly a night owl. So 6.30 a.m. is just brutal for me. And I live two kilometres away from where I work and I still have to get up an hour and a half before I'm supposed to be at work just to be there on time because I'm just so bad in the morning. So I I wake up at 6.30, you know, just do the usual, shower, dress, breakfast, take Evan to school. Um, and then I go to work and I, I do a full day's work. I finish there. Um, depending on the day, I'll either go to the swimming pool and I'll do 40 laps in the swimming pool, um, or I'll go to a jujitsu class or I'll take our son to his jujitsu class and then I'll do my jujitsu class, um, come home, have dinner. Um, and by that stage, you guys are heading to bed and I'm left alone with a laptop and a high speed internet connection from, uh, from 8 PM till about midnight, um, every night. And, uh, you know, my, my dad and my mum ask me, you know, why do you do all this smoking on confession stuff? And I say, look, there's a lot worse things that a 40-year-old man can do in the wee hours of the night with a laptop and a high-speed internet connection than, uh, than, than put together a barbecue media platform, you know? Yeah, I'll take it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm certainly happy with that, that alternative. Yeah. So I just want to bring the conversation back for a moment to the NBBQ awards this year, because I'm pretty sure you won seven of them. Um, yeah, we got, we got eight call-ups and, uh, and, and seven prizes. Um, and what were those for? So, well, as I said earlier, we, I, I really, really went hard in the last 12 months. Just, yes. Just, and I can testify to that. Just, I'm his wife. Just trying to improve <laughs> everything that, that we were doing. Um, so we got one seventh place call up. Um, I, I, we were nominated in, in seven categories. And so to get a, to get a call up across all the categories was awesome. Um, the seventh place was for the, uh, it was barbecue personality photograph and it's, um, it's a photographer's prize, um, basically taking photos of people in the barbecue community. And at Kangaroo Valley last year, I got this great photo of these two guys. They're, they're best mates. They look visually, they look polar opposites. Um, the the two Ryans, and uh, it was it was a photograph. It's one of my favorite photos. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, the if the listeners haven't seen it, it's a photo of uh, of Big Ryan standing in front, and um, and uh, I I asked Ryan. I I just finished uh, interviewing a Big Ryan. Uh, Ryan um, uh, Sheen and um, and I asked him would you like to get a team photograph and little Ryan goes yeah we'd love that and he comes up behind big Ryan wraps his arm in, a, in like a big seatbelt hug from behind and they and big Ryan looked back at him like what are you doing and I went snap and took the photo and it's it's almost like a broke back mountain type <laughs> type photo um it was just it was just one of those freak timing things but it actually looks like these guys were were, were putting it on I, I i think big ryan was looking back like what are you doing but that's not what shows in his face in the photo it was just it was really funny I and i think it's uh, a beautiful representation of barbecue love yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well barbecue does bring people together and here at smoke and hot confessions we are like we don't uh we don't hold anything against anybody. If you if you love barbecue, we love you. So uh, yeah, I, I put that in for the for the barbecue personality one, and that that pulled up a seventh place. Um, fourth place was uh, one of the fourth. Sorry, the fourth place award was quite interesting. Um, that was for publications and barbecue focused article. And in the last uh, two years, I um, I interviewed uh, Kathy Pullen and. Um, uh, Dr. Barbecue. And, um, both of them mentioned, you know, brand ambassadorship and what does it mean to be a brand ambassador? And I know that this is a personal topic that you, um, that, that you quite get, uh, get worked up about having, having actually worked in sponsorship and, and business sponsorship and all that sort of stuff in the States before. Um, it's something that we're not really clear on here in Australia. So I took, I, I took the notes from that, uh, from those interviews and I synthesized it into this article, what is a brand ambassador? And I published that on the website and that got nominated for barbecue focused article. And, and that picked up a fourth place. Um, third place was digital media website for the smoking Hot confessions website. So just continued tweaking that website and adding more and more to it from, from 2019 into 2020. Uh, we got a second place photography photo, which was really cool. Um, it was a barbecue food photo in the photography category. And again, from Kangaroo Valley, that same competition as when I got the got the photo with the two Ryans. Um, it was a photo that I took of Picania on a, on a spit. 
and it was just, I don't know, the, the wind was blowing the right way. You can see the fire and the smoke and the nice, uh, the nice fatty chunks of picanha and, um, yeah, that did really well. So that's um, three of the seven awards we got. The next were all first places, which just blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. Um, so I wrote an ebook. I wrote a book, uh, The Bacon Manifesto. It's for sale on the on the website there. And it's all about how to make bacon at home and then a handful of recipes for what to do with that homemade bacon. And I put that in for uh, for publications, educational writing. And sure enough, we took out a first place for that for our ebook. And um, that that was a really significant sort of personal project for me and for us because it was an opportunity where I was able to employ uh, one of the students we mentioned before, our, our international students. I was actually able to employ uh, Gabriel to do the to do the graphic design for it. So I, I had already done the photography and I, and I did the writing for it. And he put it all together and he made it look good as an ebook. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an equal reflection on, on, on his work as well. And, um, so he's, we, we, we've added him to the team now as our, as our graphic designer, cause he, the work he does is just fantastic. Um, you know, he's, he used to do graphic design for the Brazilian government and now he's over here in Australia and, um, you know, he's able to do work for us, which is fantastic. Um, we managed to get a first place photography prize, the the live fire category, uh, which was quite interesting because um, I use a, a Canon DSLR for my photography work. But um, during the the family time on that trip in 2019, we were just talking about uh, for the previous NBBQA, we had some time out at Arkansas there on Sugarloaf Lake at your uncle Jimmy's house, <coughs> and I had bought a. Um, I'd bought a little Weber Go Anywhere to practice for that SCA cook-off that, that I was talking about. And um, I set it up on a table looking out over the lake and uh, it was sort of a bit late in the afternoon. The sun was going down over the over the water but the light was still pretty good. And I um, I hadn't bought a charcoal chimney because we were limited on space. We had this remember – that, remember that rental car that was packed up to the eyeballs? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd sacrificed getting a charcoal chimney and I'd just got a little bottle of lighter fluid instead and I did your mother's old trick of just dousing the charcoal in lighter fluid and stand back and throw a match at it. And it went woof and it was burning up through the air and I just grabbed my iPhone and went snap with my iPhone and just took a photo with that and it just came out looking magic. And so, uh, yeah, that one got nominated and won first prize for live fire. Um, the next one was a first place for barbecue apparel, um, which I'm going to give a, give a big hat tip to you here. This was, uh, this was your idea was this, um, this project was the, the Hail Mary t-shirt. Um, you sort of had the, had the concept for that. And we, we got back in contact with the, uh, the graphic designer that had done the original Smoking Hot Confessions logo because we wanted the themes to sort of match. And we, we worked with her and she's, yeah, her name is Kat Brett McQueenan. And uh, she was actually um, on a roller derby team. That uh, she was on. She, she was, was on your roller derby team. On my, I was on her oh, roller so, derby so, so, team. Sorry, yes, 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 yes. absolutely. Um, Gold Coast roller derby here, and she actually, um, I believe, she was president of the club at the time, and she was she did all of the, um, all of the artwork for uh, both teams on the Gold Coast. And she and I just had stayed in touch. And when we were talking about sort of the design of 
because we've been working with her since we did the logo. She actually did the logo for us as well. Um, and she just, she's always done pinup work and it's just, she's incredible graphic designer. And I just knew from the very beginning that, that we wanted to work with her. And as soon as we started talking about the Hail Mary t-shirt, we were talking about doing it as a pinup. It was like, she, it had to be her. Yeah. 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 She's just such, she's so good at what she does. Mm, yeah. And that, and that, that style of art mm. is just like, that's her bag. And so, yeah, we, we were able to work together with, um, with a couple of local Gold Coast businesses, which was good. So, uh, there was her and then, um, Blacklight uh, T-shirt design, also here on the Gold Coast, handled all the, uh, they handled all the printing for us, boxed up a couple of them, sent them over, and uh, yeah, I to, to be honest, I wasn't sure if the American judges were going to go for it. Um, I think Australians are a bit more, I don't know. Like I don't know. I think open, it depends on where you're at in the States. Relaxed, religiously speaking, I guess, like, um, cause I know that, uh, I've, I've shown it to a couple of my American friends and like, listen, I love it. I could never wear it in my town. Mm, mm. Um, whereas here in Australia, like it's gone crazy. Like we were also sold heaps the of the Bible in Australia. Belt. Well, we were too. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite interesting. Crossing the, crossing the, uh, the state lines on that road trip we did from Texas to Oklahoma. And we're listening to like country cowboy radio. And it sort of fades out and the radio gets static and then it comes back with, and then the Lord said to Abraham. And we're I, like, oh, what, 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 what? Yeah. Pressing the buttons on the radio. And, and I remember actually that, I remember you being like, wow, America's really religious. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, honey, that's why they call it the Bible Belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but but sure enough, um, Hail Mary picked up the, uh, the, the first prize for barbecue apparel, which, you know, technically makes it the best barbecue shirt for 2020. So I'm going to throw that back to you and give you a hat nod for that. And the last one the uh, was also a first place, and that was the podcast that we're recording right now. Picked up first place for digital media, podcast, or audio series. So we were up against, you know, the the different uh, barbecue radio shows on there because, I mean, radio is so huge in America that they have, like, dedicated radio shows to barbecue over there. So we're up against radio and podcast as well. And there's a lot of really big popular podcasts over in the States as well. And so, yeah, to pick up first place in that was just, it absolutely, absolutely floored me. And um, as you alluded to before, we weren't able to get over there um, because of the the current lockdown situation. So it was really bittersweet as well. We, we were watching the live feed over the internet drinking breakfast beers at about eight o'clock in the morning here on a, on a Friday morning. And just, I, I, I remember Evan just screaming at the television every time they called Smoky Cock Confessions and he'd jump up and he'd dance around going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, it was, it, it was really bittersweet, but it was, it was nice to get that, to get that recognition for, for the hard work. So um, yeah, I'm I'm forever indebted to Saffron for introducing me to the NBBQA and the opportunities that that's since opened up for me. All right, so that's a massive amount of accomplishments in a sh- pretty short period of time. And you know, going back to your schedule, and I live with you, and your son lives with you, and we know how hard you work, and we know kind of the toll that this has taken, just in terms of on us as a family. And with that being said, I think it's important that your listeners understand how we as a family make this work because it hasn't been easy, especially the last few years for our family. 
despite all of this upheaval, you've been able to remain consistent. And I think a lot of barbecue families, especially those that are competing, who might spend a lot of time away at comps or getting ready for comps. Like, how do you think families can best support people trying to break into the industry? I think you need to um, have a good look at your priorities and make sure you manage your priorities and allocate your time accordingly. So, um, as a you know, as a married man and and father, my priorities are always going to be you and him. And so I need a job, I need to pay bills, we need to eat. So I've got to prioritise my job, my my day job, right? And then, you know, there's, there's things I have to do as a husband, things I have to do as a father. So I've got to prioritise that as well. And anything outside of that, like my time, I guess, which as, as we said is after you guys go to bed. I was about to laugh when you said my time. <laughs> what time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I basically fit my barbecue stuff into that into that time. So my work time is my work time. That's my job. We need that. My family time is my family time, and anything after that, yeah. And I think can be can be barbecue time if it's not family time or work time. And I can attest to that. You know, um, I can tell your listeners that you know you're definitely being honest about that. Um, We've had to pull you up a couple of times and say, hey, <laughs> we have come. I mean, let's be honest. I want I want to be honest with your listeners because I think, you know, um, I think it's incredible how you balance your family with your day job, the 95 job, and then doing this on top of that. Um, I think I don't think most people would be able to do that. Um, and I. I'm very proud of you for being able to do that. Um, and I don't think a lot of families kind of can, can necessarily do that. And I'd like to go into just like, what advice would you give to families on the other side that are trying to support? So like, you know, you're somebody who's, who's, um, really sort of thought outside the box. You've sort of developed a place for yourself in the barbecue industry and oftentimes your ideas might've been kind of outside of the box, not sort of the traditional brick and mortar business. You know, um, you've had to really think creatively and you've had to adapt and change. And our families had to do that as well as you've evolved and as Smoking Hot Confessions has evolved. So I guess my question for you is, as a family member trying to support somebody who's trying to do some of the things that you're trying to do, what's the best way that we can help? Um, my first piece of advice would be to remember that but the, the whole point of barbecue is to bring people together. And so if, you're, if your barbecue takes you away from the people that you should be brought together with, then you probably need to reevaluate your priorities and, and look at how you're allocating your time. Um, the best way to do it is to involve people in – in the barbecue. So you and Evan quite often at, at local competitions, you'll come along to the competitions and, and until you hurt your back, you used to come on the team with us. You used to cook on the team. Um, but uh, sleeping in a little tiny mattress on a cold earth floor doesn't, doesn't do you much good anymore. Now that no, no, it's delightful. <laughs> um, but, but you guys still, still come along and you still help out and, you know, um, I'll, I'll try different recipe ideas with Evan and, 
you know, we'll we'll do one recipe my way and then I'll let him throw one, like throw some ideas in and we'll cook it his way as well. And he's got his own little Weber out the back there and, you know, he's I, – I try and involve him, um, you know, being a kid he's all into tech stuff so I like to try and teach him how to use the cameras and the – and the, the microphones and the podcasting equipment. His favourite thing to do at the moment is to come in and just play with the Rodecaster Pro here, the, the little podcasting desktop audio thing we got here. He loves that. So try and, um, you know, try and involve those people because barbecue should should bring people together. That's the whole point of it. It's it's meat and fire. It's community. It's, it's family. And if you're, yeah, like I said, if you're finding that barbecue is taking you away from that, then you need to find ways to to realign those two things because those are the two most important things. Um, and systematize everything. Systems, systems, systems. Um, I've developed a, a series of systems at Smoking Hot Confessions that I started with from the outset um, because you can't you can't work across so many fronts and try and do so many different things without having systems in place. So you know, develop the systems and then find tools to suit those systems. So I've got a bunch of different things um, that I use because I do a lot of uh, digital branding, a lot of online media stuff. Um, There's a whole bunch of different online tools and things that I use that helps me to automate things, to to syndicate things, uh, to, to... publish across different platforms to to scheduling posts so I can sit down for one afternoon, for example, and spend four hours and just schedule an entire month's worth of social media stuff. Um, you know, you, you've got to have systems in place. Um, it's interesting that you talk about sort of the social media systems. Um, I was going to come back around, that's just a natural comeback round to some of the awards that we were talking about for the NBBQA. You, you know, competition barbecue is, is kind of part of what you do, but it's such a small part of what you do. And, um, one of the things that you were getting ready to do was deliver, um, deliver a presentation at the NBBQA awards. And I think it's interesting that the topic, you know, fell on what's going on currently around the world and sort of how businesses are having to shift to, more online marketing strategies, especially social media marketing strategies, especially in the midst of COVID. And so my question for you is, what would you say to businesses trying to learn how to navigate social media marketing strategies at the moment who feel like they've either missed the boat are going or are going to get left behind during the COVID crisis? Um, wow. That's a, that's a big, heavy question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, um, no doubt COVID is um, devastating to a lot of people, uh, business-wise and and personally as well. Um, I think it's – I am I always try to look for opportunities and silver linings, basically. And, you know, it's it's been a massive downturn for Smoking Hot Confessions as well, you know. I, with, with no festivals running, there's no work for me at Smoking Hot Confessions. So, you know – it's, it's harming our income as much as it's harming, um, you know, other more traditional barbecue businesses out there as well. Um, you know, barbecue joints, restaurants, you know, everybody's suffering at the moment. So I I think now is the time, if you've got time on your hands, now is the time to 
get creative, think outside the box, look for other ways of doing things so that A, you can keep the wheels turning on your business for now and B, when business does return to usual, you've got a whole other arm of your business that you didn't have before. So if we're talking about barbecue joints, for example, um, last week I interviewed uh, Graham Stockdale from Stockpot Kitchen in Lismore and I was talking to him about what he's doing now that he's not allowed to have people come and eat at his restaurant. And he said, well, he's had to turn, um, he's had to put all his menu online, people can place orders online, he's had to establish his own delivery service, he's had to, he's had to convert his entire um, operation to a takeaway operation, which he didn't have before. He didn't have delivery and he didn't have takeaway. So what I took away from that from that conversation was that this is a great opportunity to develop arms of your business that you didn't have before that are going to keep your wheels turning during this time and are going to add to your business when you do get that core business back in however long it's going to be. Two weeks if you listen to Trump or six months if you listen to ScoMo. Hmm. So... Uh, but let's not get into that. But um, look, look for opportunities. Look for the silver linings. Establish your brand in the digital space. So if you if your business was 100% um, products in hand, right, and you can't get those products out at the moment, you can't get them into the hands of the people, okay, work on your digital brand. Establish your digital presence. Start, like, grab your iPhone. All you need is an iPhone just to get started. There's all sorts of different microphones and things you can add later if you find you like it. But say you own a barbecue store and you've got a downturn with people coming in and buying stuff from your barbecue store. Okay, get out there, grab one of your rubs, take it down off the shelf, do a video talking about the rub, take the top off the rub, give it a sniff on the on the video, talk about how good it smells, pour some out in your hand, hold it up to the screen, show them, taste it, tell them how it tastes. And if you've got a whole barbecue shop there, why not throw some of that rub on a steak and cook it live on a grill in the store? You're providing value to the audience of barbecue fans that are sitting there at home and they're keen to see this stuff. They're, they're just as much crawling out of their skin as you are, you still need to be able to make those connections with them that, you, that you're not able to make face-to-face in your store now. Um, so yeah, invest in your digital presence. Um, you need to be uh, informational and entertaining. So infotainment would be my, would be my two, two, uh, two buzzwords of advice there. Um, establish your brand by giving information, you know, might be online lessons, might be product information, might be product reviews and or be educational. Show people how to use stuff. And if you haven't got an online shop yet, get an online shop. Mm. So you can show them how to use the stuff that you've got in, in your online shop and they can they can connect with you through the digital media that way, direct them to the shop, they can buy it through the shop your business keeps the wheels turning, you've, you've maintained that contact or if you've even reached new audiences. Because the thing you've got to understand as well, if you've got an online shop and a strong digital media presence, you're not limited to customers in your local area anymore. You can ship anywhere. So those are some opportunities that I can see there. Certainly. And I think, um, I think it's important to point out that, you know, prior to COVID, uh, consumer buying was changing dramatically before that. And we were moving towards 
you know, we were clearly moving towards an online retail model. And if you haven't started crossing over into that, you need to, because you're going to get, you're going to get left behind. I mean, mm. it was clearly happening prior to COVID and COVID is just going to accelerate that. It actually has a specific name now. It's called delivery culture. Oh, and do you want to talk a little bit about that? That's interesting. Oh, it's just, it's basically just, um, I guess it's a, it's a generic term for Amazon culture. Mm. Shopping online, have it delivered to your house. Um, and so, as I said before, Graham from Stockpot, he's set up a system where people can shop his menu from home and have the briskets and sides and that delivered to his house, uh, to, to their house, um, you know, so. Well, and also I think there's also other strategies. If you are somebody who doesn't necessarily produce a product, but you can market a product, you can also get an online store for yourself to uh, affiliate with your affiliate agreements and represent other companies as well and take a certain, granted it may not be a huge percentage, but, you know, zero is better than nothing, percentage um, from those companies' sales. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, affiliate marketing is going to become bigger and bigger in the future, without doubt. Um, particularly, it's particularly easy in the digital world as well. Um, say you've got a, a smoker manufacturer or a smoker importer and they decide that they want to bring you on um, as, you know, brand ambassador or whatnot and do your homework on that and read that article I wrote about brand ambassadors. Yes, um, please. There's a lot of really good information. It will save yeah. you a lot of money and a lot of time and probably your business relationships. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so for example, there's a smoker manufacturer or smoker importer. They bring you on as a brand ambassador. You've got a website. You've got a strong social media challenge they can, uh, sorry, strong social media presence, they can uh, issue you what's called an affiliate link, which you put in your website. And then anybody that clicks on the link from your website gets transported to their website and it leaves what we call in the digital world uh, cookie crumbs. So it's that old Hansel and Gretel thing of like leaving the cookie crumbs so you create a trail. So the digital cookie crumbs create a trail for that smoker manufacturer that links back to your website. So if the person travels from your website to their website and buys a smoker, that's all traceable. That's all trackable. So that company, if you've got the affiliate relationship set up with them and you've got the affiliate link, it becomes trackable. They will then pay you a commission on the sale and you don't ever have to actually handle the goods. That's brilliant. It's, it, it is brilliant. Now, it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to make the 30% that you would if you were importing them yourself and selling them yourself on your 30% markup, 30, 40% markup. You also don't have to invest in all that work. You're only going to get somewhere between 5 and 10%, mm. but you're not, you're not pre-purchasing a container load full of stock. You're not holding the stock. You're not paying for shipment on you the stock. You essentially have no risk. Very little, very little. You've got the investment costs of, say, setting up a website like Smoking Hot Confessions, for example, um, you've got the cost of getting one of those smokers. Now, if you've got, if you found a good company, they'll actually send you a machine at no charge. Um, because you know, if they want you to be a brand ambassador and you're buying the barbecue from them, that makes no sense. Yeah. And I think it's also fair to make sure that we point out that a company is going to give you a barbecue if you have established yourself and an audience already. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think if that's important to point out. If you're if you're just getting started on this now, go to your barbecue cupboard, pull everything out, 
look at what you've already got and start making videos and writing articles and all that sort of stuff on what you've already got in your cupboard. Don't don't buy a domain and open a open a Shopify, you know, one click instant website and then start hitting up barbecue companies saying, hey, give me free stuff. Like you've got to establish that brand first. So I'm talking about later. I'm talking about afterwards, after you've got that, after you've got that digital presence. Um, you know, get the smoker from them, cook the meals on it, do the photographs, do the videos, do the write-ups, put the links in those recipes, in those articles, in those links, publish it through the social media channels, do all your do all your syndication. So it's not at no risk, okay? So if you're in a brand ambassador relationship, they're going to ask for things like X number of recipes per month, all that sort of thing. So you're, you're responsible for those costs. So if they want, say, two recipes a month, you're looking at, just from my calculations from costs of things around here, you're looking at probably two to $300 a month that you've got a shoulder in costs for food and you know, wood or pellets or charcoal or whatever it is that you're cooking with. So that's, that's your buy-in. That's, that's what you're putting on the table. And so it's not completely risk-free and it's not completely cost-free. So, I mean, even if it's something like a digital thermometer, someone sent you a digital thermometer, that's fantastic. You're still up for a hundred bucks to go and buy a brisket to go, you know, get the brisket to cook, to shoot the video, to show how well the thermometer works, you know? So there are definitely lots of things to consider in that. And uh, yeah, as I said, if you're just getting into it, look at what you've already got and start with what you've already got. All right. Well, I don't want you to give away too much advice because a little birdie told me that you have a, uh, you have a program that you're going to be releasing soon. <laughs> Am I allowed to talk about that? Oh, smooth, baby, smooth. <laughs> Am I allowed was, to talk about it? It was very smooth. Um, so, yeah, so as you mentioned before, um, I was due to present at the conference and I was going to be presenting on uh, strategical, uh, strategical, sorry, strategic digital media marketing. And uh, so it was going to be a one-hour presentation basically outlining uh, in detail what we've just talked about, the systems and the processes and and how to establish and build and grow an online brand presence, brand awareness. And we've been working on it for months. It's got quite a bit of information in it. Oh, the actual course itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to to back up that presentation, I also have um, developed a whole new website, a whole new, uh, a, a separate business to Smoking Hot Confessions because it's really different to what Smoking Hot Confessions is doing. Um, it's called Meat and Fire Media Services. And that's N, not and, meat and fire media services. And um, what I've done there is I've basically distilled the last five and a half years of building and growing Smoking Hot Confessions into a online course. And so people are able to access that online course. There's uh, there's a couple of hours of, of video lessons in there. There's worksheets, there's handouts, there's in-depth how-tos click-by-click through the different websites that I use for some of those systems and strategies that I talked about before. Um, it's it's really good. There's a ton of value in there. And uh, it's going to show you everything you need to do to set up your own systems and your own strategies to grow and build your own online presence. What kind of person is going to want to have access to this course? 
anybody that is looking at establishing their brand online. Now, it doesn't have to be an online brand, if that makes sense. So, for example, Smoking Hot Confessions, I guess, is predominantly an online brand. Yes, I do go out. I do work at festivals. I manage stages for people. I, you know, I, I handle the barbecue entertainment side of things at festivals. But the majority of what I do is online. I guess you'd classify Smoking Hot Confessions as an online business. The videos, the podcasts, the photography, all that sort of stuff. You don't have to be an online business to benefit from this course. In fact, it's probably better if you're, if you're not. If you're, if you're an online business, you've probably already got your own systems and strategies in place. What I've aimed this business, uh, this course at is people who are running businesses who are who they've got their business side of things down pat. They've got their manufacturers, they've got their suppliers, they've got their distribution. What they're lacking is that online presence. They're they're finding it difficult to actually get eyeballs on their products. That's what this course is about. This course is about getting people's eyeballs on your products. Excellent. I'm really excited about that course. Um, and I know the next question is going to annoy you greatly, but is there an, an approximate timeline you see that rolling out? Um, it was due to all be ready for the MBBQA conference. Um, however, after only having had probably four hours a night sleep for about four months leading up to that, and then having all that cancelled and that trip cancelled, I've given myself a couple of weeks holiday because uh, I, was, I was just shattered. <laughs> I was absolutely shattered. I had nothing left. Um you know, I've, I've been going to bed at midnight and waking up at midday for the last 10 days. So, um, I've just, I've, I've been catching up. Um, I would say probably two weeks. Nice. I should have it up and running in two weeks. Um, the course is all up there and is all ready to go. The, the website's there. It's, I'm just working on the, on the actual digital marketing side of like the course, get people's eyeballs on the course. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. All right. Well, let's finish things up on a, on a light note. I just want to ask you some questions. Uh, first question, who are your barbecue idols? Oh, my God. <laughs> who aren't? So many. Um, just in terms of, uh, like, aspirations and aiming for the top, I mean, you know, you've – you've got to sort of throw out names like, you know, Myron Mixon, Tuffy Stone, Aaron Franklin for just, you know, dogged pursuit of excellence. Um, that's, that's one thing about me is I, I do have a dogged pursuit of excellence. Once I decide I want to do something, I want to, once I set a goal, I, I work for it at the exclusion of <laughs> so many other of things. everything else. Um, so, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, I decided I needed to, uh, to work on my fitness and um, I hated the gym. I wanted to get into martial arts because at least I'd be learning something new every day. And, you know, as you saw, two and a half years later, I'd got a second degree black belt in, in Hapkido and I'm now working through, through the jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu syllabus. So, you know, um, in terms of, you know, setting goals and pursuit of excellence, you've got to look at those three for that. Um I guess in terms of uh, the podcast, I suppose you've you'd have to look at something like Man Meat Barbecue as an example of 
of, you know, just how far reaching and how many people you can talk to through a podcast, um, through the, through Mikey's work that he does there and his, and his lovely wife, Amanda, um, in terms of just straight up, how would I like to cook? I mean, you know, you've got, uh, Chris Hearth from my Q for you in terms of chicken. He does outstanding chicken. Um, Nick Cooper, Scotch and Smoke for brisket. His burnt ends are just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, Smoke and Hot Bros, Chris Davey for the for the pork ribs. Um, Anthony, my mate Anthony comes around here a lot from Black Bark Barbecue. His lamb is outstanding. So, you know, there's so many different avenues in terms of in terms of barbecue inspiration to to look at. Um, you know, everything from business angles to, you know, personal angles, like I said before, pursuits of excellence to just straight up cooking. How would I like to cook? Um, all those sorts of things. Who has been your favorite interview? Oh, wow. Um, so this is a hundred, this is a hundred. And, um, if you're new to the show and you, you've just started listening recently, um, you probably need to go back and listen to some of the live at episodes as well. So a lot of these episodes that I've, that, that I've recorded recently, what I call deep dive episodes, where I have one guest in the show and we, I talk to them for an hour or so. The live at episodes are the ones that I record at the festivals and I run around and I just grab five minutes here and there with different barbecue teams um, and so that sort of thing. And I think uh, in terms of deep dives, um, one of the – I guess like even throwing it all the way back to the first 10 episodes, season one, which was comp ready. It was, it was 10 episodes of everything you need to know about getting into competition barbecue. Um, two of the episodes really stood out were the, uh, were the two at the end. So there was uh, Brett Connell from flaming mongrels. We talked about sponsorship and, uh, and brother Ralph from, uh, from shank brothers. We talked about branding, um, two of the important things if you really want to take your barbecue team seriously. Uh, but in, I mean, probably in terms of the deep dives, those two uh, are standouts. Um, getting Jess Pryles' full story in the Jess Pryles episode was interesting. Uh, I've done an episode with Saffron that was really good, finding out about, um, about what it's like being an Aussie living in America and trying to pursue a career in barbecue as an outsider in America, like as an Australian. Um, that was really fascinating as well. Um, there's two episodes up there with the barbecue ninja. He's a barrel of laughs. Like Craig is awesome. He's so good. I think that the most fun I ever had was a, it was a short interview. It's, um, if you look at the, the season from last year that we recorded, um, the US road trip part two series, which was, going to NBBQA last year and New Orleans and all that sort of stuff. I met through the fellas from the smoke sheet. And if you like your barbecue news, you really need to subscribe to the barbecue smoke, uh, sorry, to the smoke sheet. Um, those guys introduced me to Brandon from Jazzy B's uh, food truck, barbecue food truck. And he's an ex football player and like an ex, uh, you know, NFL player. And the guy's huge. He's like six foot five. His shoulders are about four and a half feet across. Like he's, he's massive. And um, like I'm, I'm not a small guy, but like you look at the video, I look tiny. I look like a dwarf like next to this guy. And he was just hilarious. 
He was just an absolute scream. Um, you'd think he'd been doing media his whole life. He's just this natural big personality. And uh, we just bounced off each other for the whole, I, th- I think it was almost 10 minutes that interview. And it was just, it was just, it was so much fun that it, it, I cut it from the interview. But after I closed out the interview and before I stopped the recording, I turned to the guy and I said, mate, that was the most fun I've ever had. And it was dead set serious. We were both just in tears laughing the whole time. It was great. Who who intimidates you? Like who has been the person, the interview that has intimidated you the most? Johnny Trigg. <laughs> That's what I was hoping. Johnny Trigg. <laughs> so um, uh, Johnny Trigg is good friends with the guy that runs the Hammond, uh, Hammond Barbecue Festival. Um, in Hammond in New Orleans. It's about an hour north of New Orleans. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's the largest KCBS competition in the, in the state of Louisiana for the last 17 years. And um, it's all fundraising for local schools and all that sort of stuff. And Johnny Trigg's been there every year. And um, he, uh, he's quite an intimidating man. Like he, He's been in the game a long time. He's... He was in his 80s when I spoke to him last year. I want to, I want to say he was like 87. So he's got that um, he's got that gravitas when he speaks. You know, like when you see interviews with Clint Eastwood and <laughs> and, and and Clint Eastwood has that gravitas. John, Johnny Trigg has that has that gravitas of you know, someone in his senior years who knows a lot and has seen a lot and has lived through a lot and has been you. He has been you at some point and he knows what you're thinking while you're thinking it. Um, yeah, that, that was quite intimidating. And something that I always do when I do these video interviews with people at competitions is um, I call them by their first name and I, cause it, it kind of, it, it kind of breaks down barriers with the viewers and the listeners. And so, you know, Hey, so I'm talking with Chris from smoking hot bros, Chris, mate, good to see you. And when it came time to interview Johnny Trigg, I did my, you know, hey folks, Ben for Smoking Hot Confessions here. I'm at downtown Hammond and I've got the one and only Johnny Trigg. So, and I turned to him and I go, so ja, sir, <laughs> how are you today? How are you enjoying Hammond? I couldn't do it. I couldn't that do it. I, I, I couldn't address him to his face by his first name. All right. Um, who would you most like to interview that you haven't yet? Ooh. Um... Well, I met Aaron Franklin outside the toilets at his restaurant. Uh, that 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 doesn't count as an interview. Um, I, I stepped out of the bathroom and he happened to be stand, to be walking past in the hallway, and I said, "Hey, can I get a photo?" and grabbed him and took a photo before he could say no. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he loves getting accosted right outside men's rooms. Um, uh, I met Tuffy down at down at Meatstock and interviewed him. That was really cool, man. He. Tuffy, for being at the top of the game and being such a well-known, famous name, you'd think he was your next-door neighbour. Yeah, he was super friendly. He's so nice and so friendly. And I said, look, can I just have three minutes of your time? And he stood there and talked to me for 15 minutes. And he's a busy, busy man. Like, he's so good. Um, I did meet Myron, just got a quick photo with him. I didn't get to interview with him. Um, But, I mean, he's like, he's got to be up there, you know. If you're talking about it, you know, you've got to – you got to get there, got to talk to Myron. Um, in terms of Australia, there's a couple of people that I haven't 
uh, done deep dive interviews yet that I really want to get their story and find out, you know, what's going on uh, with them. You know, you got you got Boomer from from Boomer's Barbecue and Full Metal Kettle. Um, he's recently uh, changed his team name or he's uh, closed one team and opened another one. So that'd be a really fascinating story to uh, to get into. Um, Jay Beaumont from Meatstock. I'd love to talk to him and find out about how he how he developed such a strong brand. Like you want to talk about digital media branding. I mean, Jay would have to be the absolute guru in terms of Australian barbecue branding and, you know, with regard to all that sort of stuff. Um, so those would be a couple of my favourites in, in Australia as well. All right. And um, this is probably a hard question to answer because it's been a while, but who would you say you have learned the most from? Oh, wow. Um See, I'm working in education. There's a phrase that we have: lifelong learners. And our goal as teachers is not to is not just to teach people that one plus two equals three. Um, where our, our goal as educators is to teach people how to teach themselves, and that's something that that I've always naturally been. I've always naturally been one of these people that I set my mind on something. I love to go out there, and I love to just focus on something and learn how to do it. And so every single person that I've spoken to, every single interview that I've done, I always pick up something from it. So it's it, it's hard to say any one person. Um, I'd, I'd have to credit your mother at first for, um, mm. for for introducing me to low and slow barbecue and sort of teaching me about all that sort of stuff. Um, she really sort of taught me about how to treat charcoal, I guess, mm. like, like how to treat a charcoal fire. Because uh, having grown up in the 80s and 90s in Australia, we were just straight gas. Mm. That was all we ever cooked on. Um, except for, as I said, when we were burning rubbish in the yard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's got a story. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, where you've been, what you've done. Everybody's got something that they know how to do that that someone else doesn't know how to do. And if you just... If you open your mind to the story and if you listen and you pay attention, it doesn't matter who the person is or what, you know, where they've come from, what they've done, what the story is, there'll be something for you to pick up and and add to your repertoire from their story. And that's what I love about podcasting. Podcasting is about sharing people's stories. And that's what keeps me motivated with the podcast. Um, you know, 100 episodes started in 2016, um, just this year. Just this year, um, instead of recording series or seasons, we've now opened it up to to weekly episodes, um, which is a huge step in terms of uh, you know more content than that. So, but what keeps me motivated is just I want to know people's stories. I want to listen to their story. I want to know where did you come from? What have you done? How did you do it? What did you learn from it? What should we learn from it? All that sort of stuff. You know, that's that's what I love. And that leads me really well into my final question from Julianne Tyndall Davies. What inspires you inside and outside of barbecue? Um, as I said before, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, I love learning new things. Um, you know, you can attribute to how much podcasting equipment has come through this house now as, uh, as we've finally worked out this, this setup that we've got now that works really well. Um, you know, I've got, 
as you said before, 12 barbecues. I'm constantly interested in learning how new barbecues work, how different things work. Um, it's a bit of an addiction problem. I, I probably probably need to start rehoming some to make way for, for other new ones. Um, but yeah, what, what motivates me is really, like honestly, when it comes down to it, it's the connections between people. Um, if I'm cooking food, then it's the conversations that happen around the food. I mean, the second you light a fire, people gather around the fire and start talking. That's that's not a choice. That's that's in our DNA. That's what we're that's what we're programmed from the time of being cave people. And you know, you throw some meat on that fire, and then things really get interesting. You know, and um, so it, it's the connections between people, and it happens with the meat. It happens with the fire. It happens with the podcast. It happens with the videos. Um, and, you know, making those connections with those people and sharing those stories, that's what really keeps me motivated and keeps me interested. Because if you're trying to run a business and it's not interesting anymore, then you've got a problem. So maintaining your um, your your own level of interest in, in what you're doing. And um, something that I've also found really interesting on that idea of drawing people together and, and how meat and fire and barbecue brings people together. We have the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook and I started that as a way um, for to, to draw people together, to pull people together um, who want to operate in a nice corner of the internet. The internet can be kind of a scary place and um, we have some pretty strict rules there about, you know, c- codes of conduct and things in that in that group. And it's always stayed pretty small, but um, in the last 12 months or so, we've experienced quite a lot of growth and there's so much creativity going on in that group right now. Like if, if listeners are listening to this and they're not in that group right now, go check it out. It is phenomenal, the stuff that's coming through from the community members. There is some it, incredible photography, recipes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fusion. It's some the creativity that we're seeing on there and the quality is just unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we've... We've got members from from you know all, all around the world and and all around Australia, and uh, you know you've got Dean and Kate up in you know far north Queensland up the top there, Drew up in Cairns, all the way down to to Tasmania, um, you know, Acelio and and Michael in Melbourne there, the stuff that they're doing, the photography that they're doing, you know, you got Jules over in WA with her smoker manufacturing and you know she does a, some great sort of behind the scenes type stuff. Um, if you're interested in, in the manufacturing process and seeing how smokers get built and get put together, you really want to check out them at, at, at Jagged and, uh, and check out Jules posts in the smoking on confessions, barbecue community. Um, you know, she's really fantastic about taking people behind the scenes of, of, of what they do there. Um, and so it's just, I guess I find creativity inspiring. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, you know, inspiration breeds creativity, creativity breeds inspiration. It becomes this sort of, this self-fulfilling cycle, the self-fulfilling prophecy, if you want to sort of get, you know, artistic about it. Um, and that's what's happening in the group at the moment. It's, um, you know, people are getting, people have been inspired by, I don't know, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the podcast is what's brought them into the community, right? So they're, they might have initially been inspired by the podcast 
that inspiration has led to creativity on their part. They're sharing that creativity and that's inspiring others. Um, every So there's a Facebook tool. If you go through your phone into the, into the behind the scenes of a group, if you are a admin or a moderator of a group, right? And it'll show you top competitors, uh, sorry, top um, contributors. And so, you know, you'd expect you might have a list of about, you know, 10, maybe 20 top like people that trip the algorithm enough that Facebook brands them as a top contributor. Every Sunday I check that and I make a post in the, in the Facebook group with, you know, this week's top 10. And it's, uh, it's 28 days from backwards from the date that I check. So every Sunday that I check, it's 28 days back from that Sunday. There are 97 people in that group that trip Facebook's algorithm to brand them, to brand them top contributors, 97 top contributors. You know, I think that that really goes to show just the level of support that that community has. One of the things that I wanted to point out is, you know, you mentioned some top cooks on that community page. And I think it's important to point out that if you're a beginner, it's a great place to be because you can learn from these people and you can ask questions and the support in there is amazing. Like everybody starts out in the same place. Everybody starts out as a beginner and everybody respects that. So you've got some of the, you know, top cooks in Australia and you've got brand new beginners who maybe, you know, have just bought their first grill. They're not even up to smoking yet. So um, I love that community. I love the support of that community. And it's really cool to see the members grow as well. Like there are people that have been on there for years and you see their cooks improve and you see their photos improve and you see them getting sponsored. And that's what's really neat about it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've, you've, you've really summed that up really nicely. And um, as I said before, I deliberately set that up and I built that to be a nice corner of the internet. So you don't have a lot of the ego-driven, just kind of douchebaggery that happens in a lot of other groups around the place. And so um, it's, a, it, it's a really nurturing, fostering sort of place. Um, and, you know, if you're not there yet, come join us, check it out. And uh, we'd, we'd love to have you. All right. Well, Ben, that brings us to the end of the episode. So the studio is all yours. Send out some thanks and shout outs to whomever you'd like and tell everyone where they can track you down on the socials. Um, so the first person that I'd like to thank, of course, is yourself. You're uh, incredibly uh, patient and um, flexible with, uh, with um, you know, allocate, allocation of family time and that sort of stuff that we've talked about before. Um, oh, thank you, love. But your son and I very, very much believe in what it is that you do and what you have to contribute. So <laughs> we are all team team smoking hot confessions. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, there's sponsors to thank. Um, you know, some of the longest serving uh, sponsors include you know Abel from Clean Heat, um, Jagged Wood Fired Smokers over in Perth. Um, you know, uh, team sponsors uh, Ministry of Smoke. Um, sponsors us for for wooden things for the offset. Um, you know, Rod, Rod's got great product there. Um, so you know, big thanks to him as well. Um, massive thanks to my dad. Uh, he lives about an eight or ten hour drive away. But um, if I say, hey, there's a barbecue comp on, do you want to come and compete with us? He's always there. Uh, he's got mad parsley skills. <laughs> mad parsley skills. So the 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 first time that he actually competed with, sorry, the second time he competed with the team. He wasn't meant to compete. He was meant to be babysitting while you competed. And it was shortly after you'd injured your back and your yeah. back actually went out during the competition and we had to send you home. And I grabbed the promoter and I said, listen, I don't know if this is in the rules or not. And if it's not, it's fine. Just tell me. 
my wife's just, she's on her way to the hospital. She's put her back out again. She can't walk. Someone's dr- like driving her to the hospital. Can I throw a T-shirt on my dad and he can join the team and take her place as the fourth? And there was nothing in the rule saying you couldn't do that. So they said, yeah, sure, no worries. And, and my dad's like, uh, 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 okay, um, what do you want me to do? And I said, grab your smartphone, grab that bunch of parsley, grab those scissors and grab those boxes. Jump on YouTube, find some competition barbecue box videos and do that. Okay, cool. And he, he, like me, he's always into learning new things and teaching himself things. And so, you know, he just pulls out his phone, brings up YouTube, looks up a bunch of YouTube videos and does the most immaculate presentation boxes you've ever seen. It was, it was phenomenal. So yeah, huge shout out to him. Um, to, to my aunt Jenny, uh, his sister, um, she is an incredible administrator. Um, her secret ability is to read all the run sheets that I have for all the different handouts, uh, hand-ins, um, memorise all the different times of what's supposed to happen when, and she just knows it, memorises it. And so in the, in the thick of it on competition morning when I'm running around like a headless chicken trying to do everything, she's like, Ben, in four minutes, you have to take the pork ribs out of the smoker and put them in the warmer. Okay, thanks, Jen, Jen. And she she keeps everything uh, running like a Swiss clock. Um, Nigel, the man with the van, um, he's he's in charge of logistics, as I've joked with him before, moving things from place to place. Um, you know, his feedback has always been honest and, um, and straight down the line. Uh, people that have supported the show from the start, um, you know, you got uh, Bretto from the Flame and Mongrels, Matt from Smoke and Sappers. Um, you know, you got Dan White, Country Boys Barbecue, Chris Davey from uh, from Smoke and Hot Bros. Um, Anthony, as we said before, um, you know, he's he's here at the house cooking with us, just hanging out. You know, doing Christmas parties, cooking with us at competitions. Um, actually, his his first ever barbecue competition, he came and competed with us at uh, at Bangalore. And I, um, I got hit with the, uh, the stomach bug that was going around and tore through that competition over the weekend. And I ended up just having to leave him in the middle of the last hand in. And I went and sat under a tree and threw up in a bucket for 45 minutes. And he had to finish the hand in and finish it up himself in his first ever barbecue competition. Um, so I guess, you know, th- those are the supporters of, of, of the brand um, of, of Smoking Hot Confessions. Um, there's people that I have worked with and worked for. So, you know, all the different event hosts, um, you've got Julian up here in Brisbane, who's, who's hired me for a lot of work with, with a lot of his festivals up here. He does some great work up here. Um, I can't talk about what he's got lined up, uh, in the future, but I know he's got some huge things coming up. Absolutely huge. Um, NBBQA, of course, um, the, the work that I've done with them and the networking and the opportunities that have arisen from that, um, and I, I can't stress this enough. If you've got a barbecue business or a brand you're looking to turn into a business or you've got any kind of aspirations in that regard at all, make sure you go check out, check out MBBQA. Um, you know, you've got uh, Jess, Jay and Adam from the ABA here putting things together for us here. I mean, now we've got KCBS here as well, but I mean, we wouldn't even have that if it wasn't for the work that those guys put into kicking off the ABA. So, you know, Hats off to them as well. They've they're sort of the the pioneers of the scene that we have to play in now, and uh, and and all the different sort of business opportunities that that we have as well. Um, my jujitsu teacher Kaio, who also happens to be a uh, a professional website builder, for teaching me how to build websites and uh, putting up with all my 
you know, half past 11 at night, Facebook messages saying, Kyle, I just broke something on my website. How do I fix it? And him coaching me, in, you know, in the middle of the night about how to fix the, uh, about how to fix the website. Um, you know, you got uh, Master Angus from Hapkido who, uh, you know, it was actually him all those years ago that came around, saw me cooking on the gas grill and said, you know what, you need to, uh, to start a website on this. He's right into digital marketing and stuff. And so, uh, you know, he, he sort of put the idea in my head all those years ago and has supported me ever since. Um, so those are, those are all the thanks I can think of at the moment. Um, you know, Rob from Radar Hill was a huge believer from the start. Uh, Hazy Peak and PK Grills um, have, have come on board and, and, and they've helped us a lot. Uh, Oz Pig as well. Um, you know, that's a lot of fun. Like having the PK and the Oz Pig on the front deck, that's a lot of fun. Um, I'm probably forgetting so many more. I know that I am and I'm really sorry. Um, but yeah, there's so many more people. I, all the people that have been on the show, I mean, this is not something like I don't pay people to come on the show. People aren't doing this for money. I'm not paying them to do this. So they're doing this because they want to share their story. They're doing this because they want to to help you, the listeners of the podcast, to 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 improve your game in your in your barbecue world. So, you know, huge thanks to everyone who's been on the show. And of course, massive thanks to all of you who listen to the show, who watch the videos, who click on the photos. Um, you know, we've just hit over 2000 members in that Facebook community online. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the nicest, you know, safest, cleanest places on the internet you can play and just focus completely on barbecue and be supported and, and improve and draw people together. And, you know, we've got a big emphasis on family um, in that group because family is so important to us and it's one of the core tenements of, of Smoking Hot Confessions. And uh, so, yeah, big thanks to all the members of the community and all of you out there who've ever had anything to do with Smoking Hot Confessions and, you know, supported us in any particular way. You might have bought a T-shirt, you might have bought a hoodie, um, you know, stickers, um, as I said, you've been a guest or you've listened or you've referred somebody, that's that's huge. Um, big thanks particularly to anybody who has given us a five-star review and a rating on, um, sorry, five-star rating and a review on, um, on the different podcast apps. Um, in a little video I did about a year ago, uh, we did actually manage to hit number one podcast for barbecue and number 34 in Australia for food. So, um, you know, just that support from you guys, just doing simple things like that just means the world to us. So thanks, of course, to all of you as well. Thanks, Ben. I want to thank you for trusting my idea for this episode and guesting on your own show. I've had a great time and I hope you have too. I can't wait to see what's happening for the next 100 episodes. Yeah, me too. Me too. But uh, you know what? I need another beer. Well, there you have it, family. That was Ben Arnett, founder and pitmaster of Smoking Hot Confessions. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably all over our socials by now, but do make sure you head over to YouTube and give Smoking Hot Confessions a subscribe. We'd love your support to help build that channel. That's it for today's show. So I'll leave you with one last piece of news. We have beanies on the way. That's right. Thick, warm, smoking, hot confessions beanies will be in the shop soon. So head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com forward slash shop forward slash and check them out. Anyway, till next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. 
Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.